This is the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast. I'll tell the listeners out there, this is really important. Um, to me, it's revenue is vanity, profit margin is sanity, and cash is king. I'm not out there trying to get all the units. I don't care about my ego. It doesn't matter to me whether Jonathan has 5,000 units and I only have 1,500 units. I don't care. I'm not growing for the sake of growing. And I think a lot of sh people should take that to heart. You're listening to the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast, where we discuss tangible tips, tricks, and best practices for becoming financially free. The show is designed for people who want to either start real estate investing or for those who want to scale their real estate business. What's going on, everyone? This is Jonathan Farber, your host of the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast. I hope you're all well and healthy. For any first-time listeners, thanks for being here. The goal of this show is to explore ways to become financially free through real estate or to increase passive cash flow through real estate. A little background on myself, I work in corporate America at a software company and my side hustle is real estate. I currently own eight rental units and looking to add more this spring. I have house hacked, bird, flipped, and done short-term rentals to name a few strategies. My current focus is 20 to 30 unit apartment buildings in Ohio and Kentucky. I love to network and learn. So if you'd like to connect further, feel free to find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, or BiggerPockets. Today, we have another awesome guest, Gino Barbaro. Gino currently lives in Jacksonville, Florida, but was born and raised in the Northeast, which I can definitely relate to. And that's what first kind of impacted me with this stuff, the Northeast attitude and culture he brings to the table. Uh, we first connected through Bigger Pockets. He was an early episode uh, on the show there and they have a podcast of their own, but he also creates tons of content. And that was how I first found him. And then I actually got connected with a couple members from his coaching program that have had awesome success buying multifamily deals. So that was uh, how we found him and how we first got connected. Uh, a little bit about Gino is he's a buy and hold value add multifamily investor. He started out buying uh, a 25 unit apartment building and scaled that with his partner, Jake, to over a thousand units with their own uh, money before they started taking outside capital and syndicating deals. Uh, their business model is typically buying something, adding value to it by raising rents or fixing it up, making it operationally efficient and doing either a cash out refi or a sale and then taking those profits and going on. What I love about his story and his background is that he started in um, this business without any real estate experience. He kind of just jumped in and they were thinking about doing it for about 18 months, I think he said uh, in this episode. And then finally they took the leap of faith. They bought a 25 unit. And that led him to the path he was on today. He was in a job he didn't like, and he didn't think it was setting him himself up and his family up for the best opportunity, success, and financial freedom in the future. So uh, really, really awesome background. And what he's doing today just brings such a fresh perspective. And you can tell he's really good at coaching people just based on the way he talks and his narrative and everything he talks about is very tangible. So the two things that stood out to me from this episode were the specifics of how he bought and how, how he found and bought that first 25 unit property that now cash flows about 6,000 a month, free and clear after reserves. And how that at the beginning enabled him to learn enough to do a second deal, his third deal, but then also enable him to do this as a full-time business when he was making enough passive cash flow. The second thing that stood out to me from this episode were, was how and what coaching did for his business. Um, and how he thinks you can go about either finding a coach, a mentor, or a mastermind, and how he thinks about the dollar for dollar investment that you're making either in yourself or your business when you get the help that can quote unquote serve as rocket fuel for your business to get you where you want to go from where you are today. 
Today's quick tip is if you are a landlord with either an apartment or an apartment building or just anywhere that there could be reviews for your tenants. So if you go on uh, apartmentbuildings.com or Zillow or even just Google, you see different apartment buildings have Google reviews or apartment.com reviews. A trick that I heard from a landlord based on just knowing that digital reviews are becoming so much more prevalent and important was he would give his tenants a break on rents for a month or he'd give them a small discount if they wrote a great review about the property and screenshotted it and sent it back to him. And he did this for obvious reasons. One, it just improves the relationship with the tenant and the quality of the brand of the building. But as digital reviews become more and more prevalent and important as people just go on and search for stuff, these reviews matter so much. They matter more than any paid advertising you can even do because people are looking at this like it's just from the tenant. It's not something that the landlord is putting out there. So it, it's common knowledge, but it's not always common practice. But when I first heard that uh, and then looked at his buildings, they had amazing reviews and he says it, it leads to him being fully occupied most of the time. So I thought that made a lot of sense. So that was today's quick tip. Without any further ado, let's jump into an unbelievable episode with Gino Barbaro. All right, Gino, welcome to the podcast. Jonathan, thank you for having me on. How are you doing today? I said it before, I'm doing about as well as I can be amid a pandemic. I can't <laughs> complain. That's been my go-to line. And, uh, you know, just trying to look at this as much of an opportunity uh, as possible. And I think that's probably the same approach you've been taking as, as you can instead of uh, a negative and what, what you can do in this time instead of, you know, why me in this time. But uh, really, really excited to have you on and get into your story today. As we touched on a little before we hit record, uh, my brother and I have been following your stuff for quite a couple of years when, when I first got into the real estate investing sphere and then just uh, probably through Bigger Pockets and you know, Fairless and a couple others that you've been on. But your story is awesome, especially for a Northeasterner following it. And a lot of people are from New York that, that listen to this podcast. Um, just really excited to get in your story today and hear how you guys, you know, scale that of your, your jobs and then into this business. So mm. can't complain. So you mind just kicking us off with, well, how are you doing today? And then uh, into your background, how you got into real estate and, and where you're at today. Well, I mean, for me, like you said, it's a pandemic and, you know, March 15th was D-Day for everybody. And for us, Jake and I was like, strap the pants on and get to work. And we haven't stopped working since then because we have investors, we have students, we have residents, we have a lot of things going on and we had to figure it out, right? Fortunately, we're in an area that is a little bit, you know, more conducive to business, Tennessee, uh, parts of Kentucky. So they shut down, but we were able to figure things out. And what we ended up doing was we ended up doing virtual leasing. That was the opportunity that came out of the problem. So we, within a week or two, we had virtual leasing up, we had a YouTube page up and we were an essential business. And the idea that any business is not essential is moronic to me, but we were deemed an essential business in property management. So we had to open without being able to open. So our offices were closed. So we had to do it on the fly. And that's what every entrepreneur does. They, they make enough money to pay for their mistakes is number one. And number two is they commit and then they figure it out. And it's over communication. And I don't really like to communicate. I'm not the person that's going to get on and, and, and share, you know, warm, fuzzy stories at everybody. But this time of the year, this time of the cycle, this time of whatever you want to call it, you need to do that with your team members. You need to know what they want. And as a leader, you need to do things that make yourself feel uncomfortable to help others out. Now, my story real quick, I mean, 1992, got out of college, long time ago. I couldn't find a job. I, I was the W-2 guy that hated to, to work. 
with for a company and just sit in a cubicle and just it was dreadful to me i did reinsurance accounting and i tell people it's like watching paint dry that's how boring the job was and it was like you know what give me some work i'll get the work done in an hour and then they would always say to me gino why are you sitting in a cubicle and not doing anything well, you're not giving me anything to do. And I was really frustrated. So I ended up going out and buying a restaurant with my family. And we had the restaurant for a good 15 years. I loved it. Uh, I say the first 15 years because I break it up into inflection points in my life. We did really well. 2008 comes, and 2008 is very similar to right now. The huge transfer of wealth. You know, the economy is a huge shift in economy. And I say to myself, why are there people out there making millions of dollars? And I'm not. So the first book I'm going to recommend to everybody is The Secrets of the Millionaire Mind by T. Howard Becker. I picked the book up and I'm like, this guy, I don't want to curse in the podcast, but this guy's a dick. He doesn't know me. Well, and I'm reading, I'm getting mad reading the story. And I'm like, at the end of the story, I listened to it and I listened to it on CD. And I'm like, he's exactly 100% right. We are all responsible for our own actions and our own lives. And until we realize that we cannot create a plan for ourselves, because if I'm blaming Jonathan, if I'm blaming the economy, if I'm blaming COVID, I can't come up with any action plans. Lower emotions leads to lower intelligence. When you have higher emotions and you can figure out from an analytical perspective, from a logical perspective, and from an emotional perspective, put all three of those together, you can come up with a plan. So let's go back to 2008. I'm like, crap, I got to do something here. I went out and I got coached. It's either pay to play or seek to serve. I had bought a couple of deals pre-2008 that didn't do so well because I was taking this massive action but education times action equals results. I had only done the action part. I didn't get educated. And I'm like everybody on this podcast going, do I really have to pay for my education? There's so much information out there. And you know what? You're going to pay for one way or the other. So for me, I got on and I really learned through a couple of coaches and that really helped me out. And it still took me a couple of years. I met Jake back in 2009. In 2011, he comes to me and he says, Gino, I'm leaving. I'm going to Knoxville, Tennessee. And for all you New Yorkers out there back then, I was like, what's Knoxville? Where is Knoxville? And he's like, town in Tennessee. I'm like, okay, let's whip out the laptop, looking at LoopNet. I'm like, there are some freaking deals here, bro. 30 a door. I'm like, this makes sense. The taxes are what? The insurance is what? How much are you paying people down there? I, I, was, I was flabbergasted because from New York, I still couldn't make deals work back in 2011, 2012, because our mantra is if it don't cash flow, let the grass grow. And, and, and there was no deals that were cash flowing in New York at the time. There were very few, but not many. And I couldn't scale up. So Jake moves down 2011, takes us 18 months to buy our first deal because we didn't have the credibility. We didn't know how to speak to brokers. We weren't really truly educated on it. And we hadn't come up with the buy right, the manage right, and the finance right, our three-step framework on really how to look at a deal. You're looking at a deal holistically from all three of those levers. We were just looking at buying it. We had no idea about the management perspective or even how to finance the deal. We've got some crappy terms, but we took massive action. And after 18 months, we ended up buying that first deal. There was a lot there to unpack. I'm sorry. It, it took so much. It's great. Seriously, it's great. And for those that don't know, um, you're, you're from the Northeast originally. And mm -hmm. for anyone that's, I guess, living in the Northeast now, I guess, I'd like to just go there because that is a big part of this listenership in coastal mm -hmm. cities or cities that are very expensive that can't find deals. And they're having that dilemma or they're torn between trying to find something in state or within an hour and a half of where they live or going to an out of state market. I guess for you, how did you guys think about that decision or compare, do I want to find something maybe within an hour and a half where I live today or go to a state where it made a lot more sense and maybe you did some research on those states to mm -hmm. get uh, an idea? So this could be the whole entire podcast, this answer, but I'm going to try to rip it down as, as, as simple as possible. Reasons reap 
rewards. Are your reasons big enough to invest and to make money and to leave your W-2 or to save for retirement? You have to have enough reasons. You have to have enough clarity in your life. That's why I went out and became a life coach because I wanted that personal development. I wanted that clarity in my life. When I got it, I was like, you know what? I can invest outside my backyard because there are other people doing it. And I'm going to take it another step further. I've got six kids. I moved to Jacksonville, Florida three years ago because I wanted to invest in my backyard. So if I can do it with six kids and a wife, we have to leave Italian, you know, uh, family members up there. Grandparents are yelling at me. My brother thinks I'm crazy. Everyone's like, what are you leaving New York? What are you nuts? If I can do that, I had enough clarity and I had enough reasons in my life to do that. By the way, fast forward three years, best decision I ever made in my life. I had speak, spoken to Jonathan off camera, the amount of savings that I've had, the quality of my life, I'm 300 feet from the beach. The people are nice down here. The deal flow is better down here. You just have to assess what's going on in your life and say, are you live in a market where there's, it's a capital market, like a San Francisco, like an LA, like a New York. We're not, what does that mean? There's a lot of investors here there who have a lot of capital or do you live in a deal market? And I think Knoxville and Jacksonville probably would, would fall into the deal market realm where you can still find deals. So what are you going to do? Are you going to pick up and move to a cap, to a deal market? Or if you're in a capital market, will you go out there and learn the syndication model where you're starting to raise capital, maybe find somebody in a deal market, partner with them and start raising capital and finding deals that way. Only you can answer that question for yourself. And for me, I was desperate enough to leave New York, come down to Jacksonville with the family, not know anybody and say, I'm going to property manage, make some property management fees. That will help me bridge the gap from leaving the restaurant and going into real estate full time and still at the same time, be able to buy assets, be able to network with brokers and be able to live in the market. My had enough reasons to do that. Unfortunately, I moved down here and I listened to all the people living here going, these deals are overpriced. They're 50, 55, 60 a door. They're crazy. You know, two years later, those same deals are 90 to 95 a door. So, I mean, you can't talk to people who live in the market who are living in the past and thinking about seven and eight caps. You have to actually analyze the market where it is today, where you think it's going to go into the future. So, Jonathan, I think, think the short answer is really figure out what you want to do with your life, what your goals are, what your plans are. You don't have to have to have to make it happen in the next six months. This can be a long process. Setting a goal is not achieving the goal. It's, it's, it's being the person growing into the person that you need to be to achieve that goal. Because once you hit that goal of the first property, then you've got another goal and then you've got another goal. So you get, you need to continue to grow in life to achieve those and hit those goals. Does that make so sense? It makes total sense. And I'm so glad you said that because even just through this podcast and then just general networking, even I've, I've, one of my favorite books is The One Thing and I've had a chance to spend some time with Jeff. Mm -hmm. And just the point in, in his thinking, what you just said is that the point of a goal is to be appropriate in the moment mm -hmm. so that you can cast the vision and then you can take the steps. And then by doing that, you can at least be on the path. Mm -hmm. And I think for a lot of people without having that, it's hard to do. So really appreciate you saying that. So I guess mm -hmm. just to, to take one step back because I think people listening to this, um, they love the idea of doing that. I think some of them are probably thinking that today, especially in COVID times where the world is becoming more virtual and you can potentially in the next couple of years, either work remotely or leave your job or not have some of the ramifications that you would have had before. So just going back to uh, how you got into that first deal, you said 18 months, Knoxville. Um, mm -hmm. Can you maybe just talk through a couple of like the, the pillars that we think and talk about as far as how you found it, how you financed it, um, how you did your research and put your team together as far as just like the general structure of the deal in that sense. Sure. I just need to plant a seed in everybody's, in everybody's mind. We live in a federal system. You can choose and be responsible to live where you want to live. If you want to live in the Northeast, great. You can live there. If you want to move, 
great. If you want to live in Seattle where there's pandemonium and, and there's anarchy, you want to live there, that's fine. But I was always thought that I have to live in New York. No, you don't have to. You can pick up and live wherever you want to. We've migrated to the Southeast. That's where the majority of our deals are because there's job growth. There's population growth. People are moving there. And it's still relatively inexpensive to live here, right? Those are the metrics that we're looking for for multifamily. And when you're analyzing a deal, let me, you know, I can go a little bit higher level here, but I want everyone to write this down. We've come up with the three pillars of real estate. So everyone, when you're looking at a specific deal, we didn't know this when we started. And I made real big mistakes with this market cycle. The market cycle is the first pillar. You need to know what part of the market cycle that you are in. Every market isn't can be in a different part of the cycle. You know, let's say, Arkansas, Little Rock, Arkansas, it can be in recession, right? That's that part of the market cycle that they may be in. Atlanta may be in hyper supply. So you really need to know what part of the market you're in. And what I'm saying is, are you in a buyer's market where buyers have the advantage or are you in a seller's market where the sellers have advantage? That's the first thing you need to, to figure out. And we were talking about Raleigh. Raleigh probably is still, in a, is still in a seller's market. So when you're in a seller's market, you have to figure out, okay, what kind of assets am I buying in that kind of a market? If you're, you're buying like these value-added properties that are C, C minus, and you're overpaying for them, and you're expecting to put a lot of money and rehab those, and then all of a sudden, prices drop, what happens? You've overpaid for an asset, you've overfixed it. Now, if you don't have that thing long-term and ride that out, you're going to be in trouble. So you really have to figure out what part of the market cycle you're in. This goes with residential, this goes with self-storage, goes with any part of the real estate uh, uh, niche. The next one I think you have to look at is we, we say it's the exit strategy. We were always buying hold forever. And that's not appropriate for every deal. Some deals you can buy hold cost seg and keep them in cash flow with them. Some of them you say to yourself, Hey, I've put so much equity in and I've syndicated this deal. I need to, you know, put money back to my investors. That may be, you know, a three to five year hold. So you have to figure out what your exit strategy is. And that will ultimately tell you what kind of debt you're going to get. Are you going to owner finance this thing? Is that, is that part of the debt strategy? Or are you going to use community banks, which are coming back in favor right now? Or are you going to use agency financing? Are you going to use bridge debt, which is short term? You have to look at a deal holistically. And I think look at all three of those to say, hmm, I'm going to use this strategy. I'm going to use this type of debt. And this is my exit strategy. And then from there, you implement the three-part framework, which we say buy right, manage right, and finance right. That finance right component, you're going to have from the debt, from the debt part of it, right? Uh, buying right is you need to have parameters. What are your buying parameters? What are you looking to achieve in the deal? And, you know, in real estate multifamily, you're looking at cash on cash return. You know, what, if you put in $100,000 in cash, you get $10,000 out. That's a 10% cash on cash return. It's a very simple metric, but you need to have a criteria. What cap rates? A cap rate is basically a rate of return on your money in exclusive without having any debt on it, right? So a cap rate is, is, is the rate of return. And what is your debt coverage ratio? That's the third one, DSCR. Everyone just Google cash on cash, debt coverage, and cap rate, and you'll get an idea of that. That's part of the buying right. And then obviously, you have to manage these properties. So we're teaching our students how to manage them and not even manage them, but manage them efficiently. So when you're looking at a you know, trailing 12 months of an income statement, you're looking at all the expenses and going, hmm, they're paying too much for this. They're paying not enough for that. You can look at it and actually analyze it because you're not just trying to do valuation through renovation. You're trying to do valuation through operation. That's where, that's where the bonuses are right now. If you can operate it properly efficiently and cut down the expenses, there's a huge value add component right now. Because I think everyone right now is focusing on just raising rents. 
but there's a lot of value in actually operating the property more efficiently. Yeah, that's a really good point. And also with COVID, there, there is, it's an unknown to know how much you can actually raise rents. So going yep. back to the other side of the table where you can become more operationally efficient, you mm-hmm. might be able to achieve your value add play that way instead. And for those that yes. don't know, and I'd love to hear your, your opinion on this now, um, if you guys uh, started with value add as far as a business model, um, and if that's still the business model you guys execute today, if you could just explain what that is and how you guys maybe on that first deal were thinking about how you can add value to a deal or do things to increase the NOI to, to increase the value. So I, I think in every deal, when you're trying to create wealth, I think you need to have a value and component. If you're the person who wants to preserve wealth and you're looking at an A property, a property that's just built, that's a different strategy. That's why you need to know what strategy you want to employ. I don't have a hundred million in the bank yet. Uh, you know, hopefully one day I will, but I don't have that. So I don't need to have that kind of money. So when somebody's looking at a deal and going, how did that person pay that price? Well, they have a different metric. Maybe they're only looking to get a four or 5% cash on cash return. Maybe they're just looking to park money. So that's why it's really clear for you to figure out what your acquisition, what your criteria is. We're looking, we started out buying CC minus properties. We're sort of gravitating to the newer builds now, right? 80s, 85, 90s, because we don't want to have a lot of deferred maintenance as far as, you know, cast iron plumbing, as far as old roofing. But that's what we're doing right now. So it it depends. When we first started on that first deal, it was a 25-unit property. That's all it was. We had some creative financing on it. We got 10% owner financing. So we only, the deal was a $600,000 purchase price. We got a $60,000 seller finance note, and we only had to come up with $60,000 as the down payment. The other 80% was from the bank. When you're looking at a value add component, there's two things you can do. You can either raise the income or you can lower the expenses. Now, lowering expenses are great because every $1 of expense that you save, it's a dollar in your pocket. If you're raising income, it's not a dollar incremental. It might be a 90 or an 85 or 80% incremental because you have other expenses coming on. You have to pay the property management more. You're probably going to have more utilities. It's going to be, it's going to be, there's going to be more work involved. So a value add component, what does that look like? Well, you're looking at the balance sheet and you're looking at the income statement. You're saying, okay, they're making this income. You can obviously the most most prevalent one is raising rents, knowing how to raise the rents, knowing what the median income of the area is, making sure that you're buying it right, taking a look at it and saying, hmm, this person's paying $500 a month in rent, but all my competition's paying 600. Maybe I can raise the rents. So that's one value add. Another value add in multifamily is called RUBS, Ratio Utility Billing System, where you can actually go on and say, hmm, this landlord is not billing back for these utilities. And a lot of this markets and a lot of the cities, you need to know if your city does it, tenants are billed back for that. So if you have a property, I'll give you an example. On our third property, it was 136 units. It was a mom and pop. And a mom and pop is basically a motivated seller. Someone who has a property, doesn't really know how to value it, doesn't have systems, doesn't know the intrinsic value of the property, is undervaluing the property. They just want to have this property. Their tenants are paying. They don't want to rock the boat. The rents have been there for a while. And on this property at 136 units, they weren't billing back for utilities. We come in and it takes good 12 months because you have to turn all the leases over because the lease is a contract. But within the first 12 months, we got everybody on a lease on a, uh, on a bill back program and we were billing back $30 a month. So if you do $30 times 136 units, 
That's an additional four dollars $4,000 a month times 12 is an additional $50,000 a year. You divide that by a seven cap and you can see that we created, I don't know, five or six, seven hundred thousand dollars in value just from that one little technique. So that's what I love about multifamily. You're not just waiting for the market to appreciate. You can actually force the appreciation if you're buying these properties right. You know, additional value plays. Are they charging for applications? I mean, if you have a property that, you know, people are coming to apply, we're charging $55 for an application for, for residents to apply with us. And it's big and it's costing us $10, $12. So we're netting $40 an application. Are you charging late fees? Late fees are a great way to deter residents from paying late, but you can also generate a significant amount of revenue from that. Lease termination fees. Do you have storage fees on the property? Do you have laundry on the property? Laundry is another way to generate revenue on the property. Do you have pet fees on the property? So as you can see, you know, we even have something, Jonathan, called moving fees, non-refundable moving fees, where tent residents move in, make it a lower barrier to entry. And when we started it, not many people were doing it in the market. And it's one of those things that, you know what, you can't do it. Nobody's doing it. But from a resident's perspective, when you're dealing with, you know, blue collar workforce where they don't have a month or a month and a half worth of security. So if you're, you're for your, your apartment's renting for $700, they don't have $700 to give us a security deposit and wait 12 months and have a confrontational battle with the, with the landlord saying, am I going to get that money back? So we do a non-refundable moving fee, about four to $500. It's, it's a lower barrier to entry, non-refundable, hits the balance sheet and income statement day one. And when residents move out, they still, they're still on the hook for, for their, you know, for their damages. We call, we use something with called a surety bond. So it's a way to protect ourselves. They buy the surety bond. So we, we have that because we have the scale going on, but our fees normally are about 10 to 12 to 14% of our total income. So it's a great way to look at that and saying, if you know how to manage these properties properly, you're going to be able to look at the income and say, Hmm, this is a value add because you're not implementing all these types of fees that we can implement on the property. Yeah, that's just really good. I mean, I was going to, you answered it. I was going to ask if you had any favorite ways to add value or mm -hmm. things that you guys look for. And it's no prop, no two properties are the same. I think that's the moral of the story. There's going to be properties that you can come in and add value to by doing increases. And then there's going to be properties you can come in and add value to through subtraction and mm -hmm. improvements and running things from a, from a better operational standpoint. So I'm, I'm very curious just because I, I love the idea of helping people get over the, the first deal, the hurdle of a first small deal, first big deal, whatever it is. I'm sure mm -hmm. you've heard it. I don't know who said it first, but you know, it's very rare that if someone has a successful first deal, they don't do a second deal. So that's why I do like to harp on that a little bit. So mm -hmm. for that first deal, I have to ask, what were some of your biggest learnings after you acquired the property or surprises maybe from pre-acquisition to post-acquisition, and then as you tried to stabilize it? Well, I just want everyone out there to know that that sick feeling in your stomach doesn't really go away. I mean, whether you've done one deal, 13 deals, and, and it may get even stronger if you start syndicating because you're taking people's money, right? On that first deal, it was my money and Jake's money and my brother's money. If we lost it, I've lost money before, but it was my money, right? So uh, you never lose it and you should never lose it because it's exciting. It's scary. It's the unknown. But you know, you have proof of concept. So that, that very first one for us, we made a ton of mistakes. I think the biggest one was we looked at the income and there were weekly renters and weekly renters are not a good tenant base. They pay more money. You know, I, I give you the quote, people with financial intelligence can change the world for the better. Those people are not financially intelligent. They live week to week. They'd rather pay $600. Uh, you know, if you can pay $200 a week, that's $800 a month. They'd rather pay 200 bucks a week 
then pay $600 a month. They're not financially intelligent. So I just spieled over to you and said, wow, we're talking about all those value adds. And what people lose in translation is when I'm able to make more money from the property, I'm able to fix the property up. So the residents get a better experience. They have a better customer service. They live in a safer, cleaner, more, more I don't say more affordable because we're charging them more, but I'm more financially intelligent. I can raise the value of the property and that's helping out all the residents because they're getting a benefit also because the lighting is on. They feel safer. They're getting the better customer service. They're getting maintenance calls. So that's really important for everyone to realize that it's not a zero sum game or just Gino and Jake making money. The residents are getting a better quality product and we have payroll where our resident managers are doing a great job. So it really works all in conjunction, multifamily. Everyone eats at the table with multifamily. Mm -hmm. But on that first property, that was one of the biggest concerns. We took over and they were weekly renters. We had to transition out and get them out of the weekly renter mode into monthly renters. So there's a significant amount of CapEx. Our septic systems failed. We weren't able to test them. So we spent 10 grand on month four from septic systems failing. Um, we could have probably gotten a better price, but with, uh, with, th with that first deal, we had gotten owner financing. So the owner financing was great. The problem with it was the bank financing was at 6%. The interest rates were in the mid fours, but we got a 6% rate. We got a 20 year amortization. We should have gotten a 25 year and we had a five year term. So when we refied 18 months later, the rate went from six to 4.19. The amortization went from 20 years to 25 years. And what happened on that deal was we, we actually, the, the mortgage payment stayed the same. We had pulled $180,000 out. So the debt increased by 180 grand, but that payment stayed the same financial intelligence. We pulled all that money out. We velocitized it, took that 160 grand and put it into our next deal. Uh, a couple of the sticking points for that, for that first property. Um, the lease audit was tough. We, we did not do a good job. We just took the property over. We, we underestimated our repairs. That was the big thing because we didn't have the, the, the team members, as you had said, when we did our first deal, we really didn't have an inspector. We got one a week before. We didn't have a construction crew to go out there and say, hey, Jake, Gino, this is going to cost you X amount. We could have done a better job negotiating with the sellers. They did a couple of roofs. They did a little bit of painting, but they didn't do that. And yet all those mistakes, I mean, led to a really successful property. We still own that property today. It's 25 units and we are netting, netting every month, 6,000 bucks a month on average from that one little crappy 25 unit property. Mm -hmm. And the amazing part about multifamily is it's 25 units. It's all contiguous. We did this while we were working full time. Jake was managing this property and he was working full time. That's the beautiful thing about multifamily. It's scalable and the economies of scale are great to do this with 25 homes all over the place would have been an absolute nightmare. We never would have been able to do it, but to be able to do multifamily part-time as a side gig, and we did it as a side gig for over a year, and then being able to transition, that multifamily allowed us to do that. You've, you've mentioned Jake a couple of times, uh, and we kind of just jumped right into things. And I know a couple of people, mm. uh, or not a couple, a lot of people listening to this, they're wondering who they need on their team. They're thinking yes. about who they need on their team in-state. They're wondering who they need on their team uh, behind the curtain. And uh, you hear a lot of different approaches. People partner up for the right reasons and the wrong reasons. I would just love to hear uh, how you guys decided to partner up and then your advice for people on how they should partner up as far as who does what, skill set, um, evaluation of, let's say, your roles and responsibilities, things like that? Sure. So the first person uh, that anybody should hire listening to this, and I'm being totally honest, go out and hire a life coach, five calls, get some real clarity. And you're going to be, I'm spending what? I'm thousand bucks. It's going to be the best 
five calls you'll ever have in your life because you'll be get asked questions that you've never even thought of in your life. You'll, and it's going to be painful for you. You're going to be like diving deep. You're going to be peeling back the onion on your own life. You're going to see your own deficiencies as well as your own strengths. It's going to be scary. There's going to be a lot of work and you're talking about yourself and it's going to be a real reflection on what you want. And it's all about you. And you don't, if you don't have that clarity and you don't, for me, the clarity was my family. For me, the clarity was not working at the restaurant, not working on the weekends, not working on the holidays, having a business where I could still have my family involved in which they are and, and making a difference in, in people's lives and not going to work where I hated my job. I love to work hard, but coming home and not being satisfied and having my kids see me come home and not enjoy my work and, and, and equating hard work and a job that I don't like. And is that what work, life is all about? You know, you have to go to work even though you don't like it and work hard. And I didn't want my kids to see that. So for me, that really answered a lot of questions. So the first thing, if you're going to spend money and you're going to go buy a deal and you're going to put a hundred thousand dollars into a deal, don't you think it's worth a thousand bucks, 1500 bucks, whatever it is to learn about yourself first. So then you can create that life plan for yourself because you're in this for the long term. Multifamily is a long game. Your life is a long game. Plans are for the long game. And this will be with you forever. So start out on the right foot. That's the first thing. The second thing is multifamily is a team sport. So I didn't realize this until I partnered with Jake. And best thing I ever did in my life as far as business goes. Uh, it was, it was For me, I knew he was a hard worker. He didn't make any excuses. He would come into the restaurant. He was a pharmaceutical rep at the time. So he'd come in the restaurant with his paper. He'd have his, his lunches planned out. I'm like, dude, you need a lunch in three weeks. That's great. These guys normally tell me three hours before that I got to drive down to the Bronx from, from Putnam County to deliver an order. How the hell am I going to do that? But not Jake. He was planned. He worked his ass off. And, and I liked that about the person. There was never an excuse. I mean, like the first property we did, he was not, he never said to me, Gino, I can't go collect rents today because I'm on a sales call. No, he found a way. He figured a way to do it. It's really about value-based decision-making. We had the same goals, no shiny object. You need to find Jonathan, a partner who's going to stick in this game with you. I don't want him jumping to crypto tomorrow, to self-storage the next day. You need to figure out where and what, what niche that may be. If self-storage is the way to go, mobile home parks, figure that on the front end. Don't start flipping homes when you want to do this. You have to stick with it long-term. Uh, I think the other thing is, in the beginning, it's going to be the I'm a mentality. You're going to be doing everything and learning everything, but as you grow, you're just going to have that communication and you're going to have to be, you know, one of the most important things, you have to really like the person you're working with because you're going to be, te I talked to Jake already, I've been on a call with him an hour this morning, I'm going to see him later on at 11 at another call. So you really have to like the person you're working with and that cannot be understated because if you don't like the person long term, if you're going to be a true partner, you can do partner off on one deal with somebody, that's nothing, but if you're going to start building a portfolio with somebody, you start building these different streams of revenue and all this, you really need to like the person. As far as other team members in real estate and multifamily, the broker is king. You just have to meet that, that person and try to create relationships with brokers in the market. Um, as far as other, other, other people that you need when you start buying deals, I think as you start getting into deals, you need a competent CPA. I'm just trying to think of all the, see, you don't need a CPA day one, but when you close a deal or you're in the process of closing a deal, you need a CPA, you need a cost segregation specialist, you need a syndication attorney or an entity attorney or a title attorney, you're, because there's so many different types of attorneys, an eviction attorney, you're going to need a couple of attorneys on your team. And the amazing thing is they get paid from the deal. So that's the great thing. So you're lining up your whole entire team. But when you first start out, coach, partner, broker, I think those are the three that you really got to focus on. That's a great summary. 
I can't really add much to that. So that's, that's really good. I'm uh, sure you could, bro. I'm sure. Yeah, you could. <laughs> well, but it, I, hearing you say it, you put words to, to a lot of people's thoughts. So mm-hmm. it, it's just really well said. And, you know, for a lot of people that are out there wondering, how do you start? I mean, I, just the one thing that, that stood out to me is you got to have someone that'll help you have tough conversations and clarifying conversations. Mm-hmm. You know, when I first hired a business coach, um, I thought it was airy fairy. A lot of people wondering why are you doing this? But at the end of the day, another Jeff Woods, one thing concept, you can't read the box that you're inside from the outside. So you need to That's understand right. an outside perspective. It's why Michael Jordan had a coach. It's why LeBron and Tiger have coaches. It's because they can't see their swing when they're swinging it themselves, you know, same mm-hmm. thing. So it's just it's an account. It's an accountability piece. Also, people have to understand that they're more willing to do something for their coach than they are for themselves. And that's a crazy thing, right? I can't let my coach down. I had to read this book and I had to do my notes and I have to prepare for the call. Whereas you'll do that for the coach or you'll do that for your partner. I'll do more for my partner than I will for myself. Sometimes like, I don't really need to do this, but I need to be on this call in 20 minutes. So that's the amazing piece. It's an accountability piece. And you're talking about Tiger Woods, who has a nutrition coach, who has a swing coach, who has a financial coach, who has a health coach. He has all different types of coaches because that's not his expert. He wants to learn from experts. He's trying to dramatically learn, you know, cut his learning curve. And how do you do that? By hiring these people who know that, who are experts at it, and you're trying to use their knowledge and you're trying to help yourself out and not focus on a lot of things. And if somebody can help you out with your swing a little bit or tell you what to eat or how to invest your money and you can focus on the things that you do well, I mean, that's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Gino, before we go into the show wind down, I'd love to hear, we kind of just jumped into it. Where are you at today with the business? Where do you spend a lot of your time? What are some of your, your, your KPIs as you drive the business and you've grown, gone into coaching? You guys are huge on social media now. You guys still have the multifamily business. Uh, where are you at today with everything? So KPIs, key performance indicators, as far as, as far as us, we're trying on our portfolio to hit between $150 and $200 per unit in profit, right? The first thousand units we bought were our own money. We were able to refinance over $9 million and continue to buy the deal. So the first thousand units was bought in-house with me, Jake, and another partner. The next 500 we've syndicated and we're continuing to syndicate deals. We like the syndication model. We're actually going to be starting a fund, either Q3 or Q4, a real estate fund, where we want to hold these assets long-term. That's, I love the model of, of holding long-term. Like you said, success leaves clues. And Sam Freshman, we did a podcast with him. You can check it out at Jake and Gino. And you know his model is... He's a man in his 80s. He's two biggest mistakes, not buying enough and selling too soon. So I, I think that is that really resonated with me because we want to buy these assets, hold these assets, pay them down, return the money that, to the investors, and then, and then become partners with them. So our, in, our interests align. We're not just there trying to raise the NOI and trying to flip out, give the written investors their money back and go do another deal and feed them to death. That's not what I want to do. I want to hold these things long term. And I want to be able to have this, these things be retirements for people. That, that's what my goal is. As far as the Jake and Gino you know, world of companies, I'm full-time day-to-day on the education side. Jake is full-time on the property management side and our days collide I'm almost hourly, right? I'm on this podcast right now. In an hour, I'm going to be on, a, on an underwriting call with my son who's working in the business and Jake and another, and another team member. We're looking, at, uh, we're looking at a deal in a market. We'll be underwriting that deal together. Um, and then we just, you know, the syndication company is great because that will help us feed the, the education company. If, if students want to learn while they earn, they can invest with us and our investors become, you know, the, it, it just, it's just a great symbiotic relationship. So for us, 
I'm not going out there trying to buy another thousand units. All I'm trying to do is buy good deals because I don't want to get into bad deals because I've done that before. I mean, last year we underwrote over 250 deals. We only closed on two. That, that's painful, mm. but that's, that's being diligent and that's saying to yourself, thank God we can buy a lot of deals. That's saying to yourself, you have to stick to your criteria and stick to what you think the deal makes sense. So for us, you know, I'll, I'll tell the listeners out there, this is really important. Um, to me, it's revenue is vanity. Profit margin is sanity and cash is king. I'm not out there trying to get all the units. I don't care about my ego. It doesn't matter to me whether Jonathan has 5,000 units and I only have 1,500 units. I don't care. I'm not growing for the sake of growing. And I think a lot of sh people should take that to heart. You don't want to over lever yourself and say, hey, I've got the shiny object syndrome. You want to buy great deals that are going to, be, that are going to create wealth for you. So that's what I think ultimately what we're trying to do. That's so good. And it's the unit number just gets thrown around so much. People mm -hmm. just, oh, I, I got this many units, but like how much yep. do you actually make? How levered exactly. are you? How, how healthy is your business? It's just, mm -hmm. it's just funny to think about. Uh, just one, one quick thing on that. Uh, what, what markets do you like right now for yourself? And are you advising others that, that you've seen uh, things that meet your metrics? Sure. So for us, we're in Knoxville. So we're vertically integrated, which means we manage our own deals. So we took a circle and within four hours of Knoxville and it's Southeast. So you got Greenville, you have um, Chattanooga, Nashville's a great market, hard to find a deal. Huntsville, Lexington, Lexington, Kentucky is a great market. I mean, we're having great collections there. Residents are good. It seems a little bit more white collarish, but it's a great market. So within four hours of Knoxville, we're, we're, we're really trying to find deals and there's a lot of markets there. I think Florida is awesome, maybe a little bit overpriced, but you can see what's going on. There's so many people moving and there's so much demand down here. That's why cap rates are lower because everyone out there, I want you to think of a cap rate as the rate of return. And when you have a lower cap rate, that means there's just less risk in a deal. People will look at a market, let's say Cleveland, I can buy a 10 cap in Cleveland, but hey, are you going to be able to collect that, 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 that rent in the next three years? I don't know. That's why there's more risk because there's people leaving that market. So when you're looking at a deal, don't just look at the cap rate of the deal. You're going to say, you know what? I don't know because cap rate also denotes, denotes risk and growth. There's more risk in Cleveland you're looking at a, a city like Nashville where cap rates may be five, but there's more growth and there's less risk in Nashville. That's why people are willing to pay a higher price and therefore they're willing to take a less of a return because there's less risk in that market. So I should have mentioned that sooner, but really look at it when you're looking at it, look at the market and don't just look at cap rates like Jake and I did when we first started. And we lost a lot of deals the first three or four years because we were stubborn. We're like, we're not buying anything less than a seven cap. When if we had done that and looked at the value and been able to push that value up, uh, would have been would have been so much better. But hey, you live and you learn. And just look in those markets that are growing. The, you want markets that, you know, population is growing. Jobs are there. There's a plethora of employers. You don't want to go to a market like Cleveland that has one major employer or Rochester, New York, who had Kodak. That's risk because when that manufacturing plan closes up, you're in trouble. So make sure the market has a diversity of jobs as well. So good. All right, Gino, are you ready for rapid fire wind down? Yeah, hope so. All right, let's do it. Uh, you touched on it a little bit. If you have any more comment to add on it, um, just the topic of coaching, masterminds, paid mentors, things like that. Um, and what's your most tangible advice for someone out there or, or what groups or coaching programs are you still a part of that, you know, then you can recommend to other people? So I always go by the mantra, do as I say and do as I do, <laughs> right? That's the way I say it because I've spent over 300 grand in the last two years with coaching. I didn't know how to scale a business. So we're using up Rockefeller habits and, and you know, the scaling up model of Petra coaching. We've done that. We've hired speakers to, to help us 
uh, you know, as far as getting on stage and doing all that, we, we didn't know how to do that in the beginning. Those are all skills, communication skills we've gotten uh, as far as growing our business. We've, we've had to really invest heavily into it. So I love the coaching aspect of it. I love learning from other people. That's, that's really important. It's been revolutionary for our lives. As far as masterminds, masterminds are great. Just, just choose one where no one has any type of agenda. Just get on with four or five different business owners and just start talking and start sharing advice and start sharing stories. And that's more of an accountability piece. So we have them through our Jake and Gino community. We're called accountability pods where four or five students will get on monthly and they'll talk about deal flow and they'll say, hey, Jonathan, what are you doing next month? And Jonathan will say, you know what? I got to call four brokers. Well, the next month, Jonathan better have called the four brokers and he probably will have called the four brokers because he's got his buddies pushing him. So masterminds are just great. You don't have to pay a fortune for masterminds. Just find people who you can get on Facebook message throughout the week, that accountability piece. Uh, I love, I love, I love coaching. I, to me, it's been revolutionary because you don't know what you don't know. So when you're starting out, you want to grow into be a better person and you may grow out of your friends. That's what will happen. You'll grow them, leave them and you'll get bigger. And you that continual growth and contribution in your life will make you become a better person and you'll meet different people. And once you have that person in your life, you may outgrow that person and go on to a different coach. So it's, it's, it's a continual learning process. Yeah, that's awesome. Totally agree. Um, do you have a, a system or any time management tips for people or metrics that they can be doing or should be doing on a daily basis to be successful in real estate and push their business forward? So I think the first thing is if people haven't done this before, spend a good week to two weeks doing a time blocking, a 24-hour time blocking sheet and, and figure out how you're spending your day. And you'll be amazed at how much time you're wasting. And it may be a pain in the neck. I understand. Get a piece of paper and I, you can you can download one anywhere or just write down the 24 hours. Obviously, when you sleep, you don't sleep, but all that time you're wasting. And it's amazing that you can recapture your time. That's the first thing you need to know how much time you're wasting and where it's going. Because if you're saying to yourself, I don't have time, I don't have time, it's self-fulfilling. You won't have time. You have to say to yourself, where can I recapture that 15 or 20 minutes a day at a time? That's the first thing. I, I think the second thing for me, I've just been a person where I like to write because I think you need to write it down because it's in your subconscious. Once you write something down, and I'm not talking about keyboard, even if you write on a piece of paper, and you detail your week out. That's really important because it's in your subconscious. I've got a podcast 10am with Jonathan got to be on that. And you have that in your schedule and you see it. And then obviously when you do it, you strike it off. It's a dopamine rush. I've done that. What's the next task? And you start building on that. And I think also with goal setting and planning out the week, we have a little column in ours, you know, wins. You celebrate the wins because the week goes by, you'd be like, what the heck? I didn't do anything. But you'd be amazed at the end of the week that you've done so many tasks. You call three brokers. You've run the written two deals. You've had two investor you know, lunches. You've been on three Zoom calls. You've had a call with your coach. All those things got to be written in because so then it'll, it'll keep you going on. You have to create that process. You know, systems are great. Systems are, goals are great. Goals are just a way to get to a place. They're just, you know, the results. The systems that we're talking about right now are going to get you to hit those goals. So writing them down, documenting them, and actually just, like I said, strike it off and put your wins. That'll really help you out. Yeah, that's so good. Really good advice. Um, any, any advice as far as time savers or leverage or ways that you guys have now made sure you're focusing on the, the highest and best uses of your time, things that you've delegated that maybe you shouldn't be doing or don't like doing? This is the hardest thing for any entrepreneur because when you have the I'm a mentality, you want to do everything. And you just have to figure out, you know, revenue generating tasks. 
is it is it more worth it for me to be on this podcast for an hour and reach a hundred people or a thousand people, or should I be sending out emails or should I be doing sales copy? You have to look at it your, yourself internally. For me, it, it really dawned on me when I was at the restaurant. I was in the kitchen washing dishes. I mean, that's a twelve to fifteen hour dollar, even twenty dollar an hour job. What was I doing that I should have been interacting more with my employee, my my uh, my customers coming in. I should have been actually creating more dishes. I should have been doing more videos. I should have been writing another cookbook. I should have been doing so many different things. And that's when it comes down to looking at your own business and looking at where you're creating value. And it's really difficult for people because when they're not making money and they don't see something tangible coming in and they have to delay that and look to the future and say, I'm out with this investor right now. I'm not making any money, but six months from now, that investor may bring 50 grand to the table. That's really hard. That's where, you know, we were built to have that instant gratification. We we're built to hunt, to kill that animal and to eat it. And then if you're saying to yourself, I have to put that aside and I have to like delay that and wait, that's a hard thing to do. Just, you know, figure out what you're trying to do. And that was the hardest thing for me with Jake and Gino building up the education. There was a months and months and years that we didn't monetize, but I just had it in the back of my mind that I don't really need that aspect of it. I've got the portfolio. I've got the property. I'm learning. I'm in learning mode. And once you start at that inflection point where I need help, that's when you say to yourself, when you get to that point, hire, don't wait, hire somebody to help you out, whether it's a virtual assistant, whether it's an employee, you will 5X, if not 10X, that return back guaranteed. Mind just sharing any, any quick ones in your business that you guys outsourced or put to a VA quickly that helped with your business? It was underwriting or anything like that? or um, for, Yeah, for us, I mean, we, we, underwrite, we underwrite our deals. We actually hired somebody from our, edu- from our syndication company to do that. But for us, I mean, even simple things, even like creating blog posts, even like doing Facebook, even like editing the podcast, uh, coming in and doing videos, that kind of stuff. That's all stuff that's really low level, $15, $20 an hour work that you should not be doing. We, we edit our podcast for the first year and a half. Jake was the bane of his existence. It took him two hours to do it. And then when he got rid of that, you, not only do you reclaim two hours of your life a week, you don't have to deal with the crap. You know, it's something that you really hate. Now, if you love doing that, and that's a passion of yours, that's a different story. You have to figure it out. But if it's like marginally and you can be using your time more efficiently, I would definitely say, um, you know, editing and all that kind of stuff, even, even social media, have somebody help you out with that stuff. Totally. That's so good. And that's so important for anyone listening. Mm-hmm. I love the, the, the reference, even 15 or $20 hour work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what's next for you? What's next for the business personally and professionally? For, for us, just to continue the education uh, company, to continue to bring students on board and just to continue to underwrite deals. And uh, with the fund model, we want to be able to raise money in a fund and just be able to go out and take deals down and say, hey, we've got the money raised. Let's go after these deals. Keep it simple. That's all we're looking to do. Cool. Awesome. Uh, what are some hobbies and fun interests? Uh, fishing down in Florida, went out and bought some guns down here. So we're going to the gun, we're going to the gun range down here. That's, that's a lot of fun and just in time, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, it's, it's different down here. I love the beach down here. The beach is great riding bikes. I love to spend time with the kids. So that's where my focus is. Yeah, that's awesome. That's so good. Uh, Gino, where can people learn more about you coaching? Uh, if they want to invest, follow you on social, all that. So if you want to invest, just go to our portal. It's just jakeandgino.com forward slash invest. If you want to learn more about us, just go to jakeandgino.com. We have the honeybee that came out. So if you go on there, you can take a look at the honeybee. If you have any questions, the, the, uh, the email page for that is jakeandgino.com forward slash honeybee. You get some resources there. We have some videos on there. We have our credibility book where you can start creating your own credibility book. We have some videos on there about the book itself. So just go, just go check us out at those uh, resources. And my email address, if anybody wants to reach out, it's gino at jakeandgino.com.
Awesome. Okay. Gina, last question of the show. It's, it's, it's a common theme in, I would say, business and development and a lot of podcasts. Uh, so we try to make it as tangible as possible for any listeners. The term adding value to people. Um, it is thrown out there a lot. And a question I get a lot, and I'm sure you probably get a lot too, is how can I add value to these people that are so much mm-hmm. further ahead of me? And what we try to do is make that as tangible as possible. So I'm curious, are there any ways that you've seen people come to you and been able to actually add value to you to start a relationship or that you recommend beginners do to add value to people that are levels ahead of them um, to bring them value and maybe start the relationship in a value add way before value ask. So the first thing is to read the go giver by Bob Berg to get into that mentality, you know, seek to serve. I think that's really important to think about that and have that mindset and always just ask somebody, I mean, you'd be amazed at people who are really far ahead of you and you're saying, what could I do for that person? Just ask them, hey, Jonathan, what is it that I can do to help your business out? All I need to do is shout at you. I won't get in your way. Do you need me to make calls for you? Do you need me to set up appointments for you? Do you need me to uh, you know, go to a lunch for whatever that may be? You need to ask them. But I'm looking at it when I started out and I was 20 years old, I was in college and I wanted to go work for financial uh, planner. He was, he was with AG Edwards at the time and he was a Colonel retired Colonel in the army. And he had a big book of business. I would go on Saturday mornings. I would, uh, I would uh, sort everything out. I would actually get all the people that he needed to call. I would look at the amount of money that he had. I would do anything that guy asked me to do. And I wasn't getting paid. I didn't need the money. I think people out there say, well, I'm doing work for somebody. I need to get paid. No, you don't need to get paid because that guy, I was looking at the taking over his book of business in a couple of years. Thank God I didn't because I hate the whole financial services realm. I think it's the biggest scam going on. But at least I learned that early on. There's a lot of learning lessons and there's a lot of people that you meet. So that seek to serve mentality, don't always look at it from a monetary perspective. Look at it from a way to help that person out and say, I want to be around that person. I think that being around that person, you're not only around him, you're around his circle of influence, those circle of friends. And then all of a sudden, you, you may not know he may offer you a job or she may offer you a job. So go into it without thinking of getting money or defer that, especially if you're young. Try to find somebody you really want to attach and help out. That may be social media. That may be, hey, you know what? They're, they're, they're terrible at doing social media. You can help them with social media. They're doing terrible with sales copy. Maybe you can help them out with sales copy. Whatever you think they may need, just ask them. You'd be amazed. Yeah, that's such good advice. And you've done it yourself and it's just tangible, but it's something Mm -hmm. that can be repeated and it's just human nature. So, Mm -hmm. Gino, with that, I think we've covered a lot of the bases here. The hour flew by. I just want to say thank you so much for coming on and thank you for just putting out all the content and education and teaching and mentoring that you do um, in the community for years. Like I said, it really resonated with your story. And I know a lot of people listening to this uh, have resonated with your story as well. So before we jump, any last final words uh, or or parting comment? Well, I think everybody should out there and and go out there and create a slogan for themselves. Like I said, during this pandemic and during these crazy times, I really wanted to come up with what my sole purpose was. I I sort of knew what it was, but I'll say it again. My sole purpose is people with financial intelligence can change the world for the better. And I'm trying to make people more financially intelligent. I'm coming out with the Jake and Gino Youth Academy. That's another program that I'm coming out with. And I want people to become financially intelligent because if they can, they can, can take control of their financial future they can help others. And it's just an amazing thing that we don't have that we're not being taught that in school right now. So go out there and figure out what your slogan is, figure out what you want to do to change the world and just focus on that. All right. Awesome. Well, Gino, thank you again. Best of luck in 2020 and beyond. We'll be watching and uh, it's always fun 
listening and, and having a chance to catch up with you. Thanks, Jonathan. Take care, everybody. All right. Hey, you millennial millionaire. Do you want more? Then head to the Millennial Millionaires Through Real Estate Facebook group, where there are tons of step-by-step walkthroughs, tools, templates, and free networking to help you achieve financial freedom through real estate. And if you want Jonathan to help you personally reach your goals, then feel free to set up a one-on-one call in the link below or message him on any social media platform and apply to, well, work with Jonathan. 